Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1224. Update on the Nazi connections for the JFK assassination. This is being recorded on January 28th of the year 2022. Uh, before getting into the main body of the program, as always, three links. Those links are at the top of each Food for Thought post and each written description for the For the Record programs. Uh, one of those links will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being done of For the Record by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, WFMU is podcasting the program. Uh, the second link will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our expert uh, contributing editor, Tara Fractal. There is way too much going on for me to possibly cover that in a one-hour weekly program, so I think for those of you who would really like to stay on top of events, uh, the comments that were made on an almost daily basis by Terrafractal and also other informed listeners are worth, uh, well, basically worth subscribing to. Last but most assuredly not least, a number of those links again at the top of each written for the record program description and at the top of each Food for Thought post at the left-hand side of the front page. There is a link that will enable you to get the 32-gigabyte flash drive that contains all of my life's work through For the Record 1215. I am now in my 43rd year on the air and all of my life's work, plus an important mini library of old anti-fascist books on the easy-to-download PDF files is available on that flash drive. It is available for a very nominal fee, and I get no money whatsoever from that. I'm extremely pessimistic. I do not think that we are going to make it, and I think that uh, listeners have something of an obligation to make themselves a repository for the information that I have been accumulating for the better part of half a century, and that way they can preserve that for posterity. Now, as the title to the program indicates, this is a broadcast that will be updating some of the very significant Nazi elements' involvement in the assassination of President Kennedy. That is one of the most important events in modern history, and I think that without an understanding of the fact that Kennedy was killed as the result of a conspiracy by very powerful forces, and understanding the nature of those forces, I don't think people can really grasp the full extent of the landscape of contemporary events. I want to note in passing that this is not to take a sensationalist approach 
to the public saying, wow, look, Nazis, JFK assassination, golly gee, but rather the involvement of Nazi elements in a profound way with the JFK assassination is a manifestation of the true nature of fascism, that it was not an aberration, it did not disappear with the end of World War II, it was profoundly connected to some of the most powerful transnational corporations in the world, and indeed at the end of World War II, uh, the U.S. in many ways merged with the forces of fascism, both the Japanese fascists, as embodied in the Golden Louis milieu that uh, Sterling and Peggy Seagrave have written about, and also the SS and Nazi intelligence outfit of Reinhard Galen, and the powerful transnational corporate entity of the Borman Network, uh, and which I believe is going to is going to prove to be the decisive element in human affairs on this planet. To make an extremely long story very short, I believe the future will be theirs. They are in effective control of the international cartel system. So when we are talking about the involvement of Nazis in the JFK assassination, this is not some sort of sensationalist focus, but rather it is an institutionally operational analysis of what happened on November 22nd, 1963, and the nature of the forces that were involved with that. Reviewing very briefly an element that we looked at in uh, a in our first program, and uh, this is something that is worth uh, taking note of. Uh, when Lee Harvey Oswald, quote, defected, unquote, to the former Soviet Union, he did so after uh, applying to and being admitted to an obscure college in Switzerland, Albert Schweitzer College in Switzerland. Uh, as it turns out, the New York-based admissions director of that institution was none other than Robert Schott. That's S-C-H-A-C-H-T. He was a blood relative of Yalmar Horace Greeley Schott, who was Hitler's finance minister, a primary connecting element and personality to the powerful transnational Wall Street connections to the Third Reich, and an individual who also, uh, through his son, uh, who, through his daughter, uh, who married Don Michele Spadafora, the son of uh, Mussolini's Undersecretary of Agriculture, Giteri de Spadafora, who was a member of the board of directors of Permindex, the mysterious intelligence fund that was connected to the, among other things, to the attempts on the life of Charles de Gaulle by fascist French officers in the OAS, L'Organisation de la Secrète, and that was, as we have seen in, uh, for the record, one 
62, and in For the Record Program 1222, it was assisted by elements of CIA. We are going to, uh, once again, draw material from an important uh, and somewhat enigmatic book, I think enigmatic, uh, because it was not only published posthumously, uh, subsequent to the author's death, but it relies, I think, not unfairly on what appears to be a sort of planning journal by a master of intrigue, a French fascist and spook who really, uh, it could be said, was rather like Lon Chaney, the old actor who was called the Man of a Thousand Faces. That guy was uh, known among by his real name was Pierre Lafitte. He claimed to be a blood descendant of the pirate Jean Lafitte. He had many aliases. He was a French fascist and worked uh, on both sides of law enforcement. He worked with many criminal syndicates and worked with many intelligence services and law enforcement agencies. And he was a true chameleon. I think it would be underselling the late Pierre Lafitte to say without qualification that the enigmatic diary that he left is without question uh, a journal uh, and a chronicle of his role in planning the assassination of JFK. I think that is very possibly the case. The document is attenuated. In other words, the references are often by initials, and it may well be that the document was intended as a, and this, by the way, is pure speculation, as something of a protection against a possible cleanup operation. Uh, it would not surprise me if at some point a companion document by Lafitte were to surface. But in any event, Lafitte uh, was rather like the famous quote from Winston Churchill. I can't quote it from exactly from memory, but something like uh, the a mystery inside of an enigma inside of a riddle. He was like that, and even fellow veteran spooks viewed him with a degree of uh, respect and awe, and in many cases reserve and suspicion as well. He was a true man of mystery and a master of intrigue. I think it is very possible that the diary in this book is in fact, or the chronicle is in fact, a journal about Lafitte's role in the planning of the assassination of JFK. I think that the book itself uh, is to be compared rather to a building with the Lafitte diary as a scaffolding around it. Even if that scaffolding were removed, I think the book itself uh, is important and stands on its own. Uh, It was published posthumously to the death of the author Hank or Henry P. Alberelli, Jr., the author of, among other books, A Terrible Mistake About the Murder of uh, CIA scientist Frank Olson, and it is a uh, remarkable tome. In the aforementioned book, again, the book is called Coup in Dallas, The Decisive Investigation into Who Killed JFK, published in hardcover by Sky Horace Publishers, there is the following account of Robert Schacht, again, a blood 
relative of Yalmar Horace Grindyshot and uh, his role in the admission of Patsy Meharry Oswald to Albert Schweitzer College, and it was while transiting to Albert Schweitzer College that U.S. intelligence officer and uh, Patsy to be for the JFK assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald, quote, defected, unquote, to the former Soviet Union. In Coup in Dallas, Alberelli writes, Of note, three months earlier, Oswald had applied for admittance to the Albert Schweitzer College, located in Switzerland, via correspondence with Robert Schacht, S-C-H-A-C-H-T, the college's New York-based admissions officer. By coincidence, Robert was a blood relative of talk show host Irv Kupzenet's guest in the spring of 1964, Yalmar Schacht. And something else that is very interesting as well is that Albert Schweitzer, although not himself a Nazi, apparently did some networking with a an organization called Stillehilfe. That is German for silent help. It was one of a number of post-war German SS assistance organizations, and one of the central figures in that was Heinrich Himmler's daughter, uh, Goodman uh, Berwitz Himmler. And interestingly, uh, the honorary chairman of Stillehilfe uh, was none other than Albert Schweitzer. Again, I'm not claiming that he was a Nazi, but he obviously was doing some networking with them, and since the organization Stillehilfe also aided the children or former Nazi combatants, including and especially SS officers, uh, it would appear that uh, that was used to persuade Albert Schweitzer to uh, become the honorary chairman of Stillehilfe. Again, that is something we have spoken about in connection with uh, Kevin Coogan's remarkable book, Dreamer of the Day, Francis Parker Yaki and the Post-War Fascist International. And it is worth discussing uh, the link between Albert Schweitzer and Stillehilfe here, uh, because it was Albert Schweitzer College, to which Lee Harvey Oswald was uh, en route, courtesy of relative Robert Schock, a relative, a blood relative of Yalmar Horace Greeley Schock. And Hank Alberelli writes as follows in Kuhn Dallas. Stillehilfe also provided support for children of Nazi servicemen, in particular those of prominent SS officers, including Apostorzani's daughter, Waltraut, capital D-A-W-A-L-T-R-A-U-T, and the son of Apostorzani's good friend and future business colleague, Werner Naumann. It was Naumann whom Hitler designated as his nominal replacement in the event of his own demise, and Naumann who engaged with Apostorzani and Victor Oswald, about whom we'll have more to say either later in this program or in our next, uh, through the corporate front H.S. Lucht and Company, Stillehilfe, Silent Help, later boasted as its honorary chairman, Albert Schweitzer, founder of the Swiss 
based college that a decade later would capture the interest of Lee Harvey Oswald. And again, one finds Nazis at virtually every turn in the complex landscape surrounding the JFK assassination from the uh, Nazis and fascists involved with the New Orleans milieu of Guy Bannister and company on up to major operators like uh, Jean Lafitte, who uh, Pierre Lafitte, I should say, who was a French SS officer during World War II, one finds these profound Nazi connections, uh, many of them uh, related to the Galen Spy Network, uh, throughout the JFK assassination. Now, speaking of the Galen Spy Network, uh, as we have noted in, among other programs, AFA program number 37, and for the record, program number 8. 76. There are profound connections between the milieu of the OUNB fascists in Ukraine and the assassination of JFK. Uh, the OUNB is an organization that was uh, central to the Nazi collaborationist government that that uh, directed Ukraine during World War II for a period of time because they declared their nominal, attempted to declare their nominal independence from Nazi Germany. The leaders of the OUNB, such as Stefan Bandera, were placed under a very comfortable house arrest in Germany for uh, about a year plus. Uh, they weren't really viewed as criminals, unquote, or enemies of the Reich, and quickly, uh, once the war began to go badly, they were released from custody and continued their enthusiastic collaboration with the Third Reich, which included their involvement in the Nazi ethnic cleansing against Jews, ethnic Russians, ethnic Poles, and of course, the ideological extermination of communists. Uh, the, the, there is a picture in a post, a food for thought post that is currently on the front page of the spitfirelist.com website that is of the 75th anniversary commemoration in the Vogue Ukraine in the summer of 2018. It commemorates the founding of the 14th Waffen-SS or Galician Division. Galicia is a name that was is applied to the western part of Ukraine, which at one point was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So to uh, penetrate the revisionism currently underway concerning the OUNB, uh, that picture will do a very good job. The OUNB eventually became the dominant element in the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. That is a consortium of Eastern European fascist groups that was put together in 1943, originally titled the Committee of Subjugated Nations, and it was put together by Adolf Hitler, and it includes the Ukrainian OUNB, uh, various Baltic organizations, the Romanian Iron Guard, the Croatian Ustafi, the Bulgarian National Front, the Slovakian Vinka Party, uh, among others. 
uh, the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations uh, became a dominant element of the former World Anti-Communist League. It also became a key element of the Republican Party's Ethnic Heritage Outreach Council, which literally was a strong area of overlap between the Republican Party and the Galen spy outfit and the aforementioned anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, which collaborated closely with the Galen organization. Now, in this section of the program, we're going to talk about uh, one of the elements that was used, or one of the gambits, I should say, that was used to not only paint JFK red, but to convince further those elements within the U.S. national security establishment that JFK was a security risk and that he should be eliminated. Uh, JFK had a healthy uh, attraction to the opposite sex, as has been uh, documented. It also has been grossly exaggerated, but apparently one of the romantic interests of JFK was a woman of German and East German extraction named Ellen Romech, also called Ella. That's E-L-L-E-N-R-O-M-E-T-S-C-H. She was married to a West German uh, Air Force officer and is reported to have become involved with JFK. Certainly there was a great deal of concern, not only on the part of uh, elements of FBI, but also apparently on the part of Robert Kennedy, Kennedy JFK's brother and attorney general as well. And although she is made out to be a an East German slash Soviet bloc spy, in fact, when I began reading this, I strongly suspected that she uh, was being manipulated by Nazi elements. The uh, underground Reich, as I have called it, had profound links inside of the former East Germany. Uh, one of the people who is alleged to have set up JFK with Ellen Romet was Bobby Baker. He was a close aide to Lyndon Baines. Johnson had very strong uh, connections to organized crime, and he also was involved with the Texas Petroleum and uh, munitions manufacturing milieu, general dynamics in particular. And uh, there is a an exchange that is recounted in the book Coup and Malice between Bill Thompson, a railroad executive, and uh, also Bobby Baker. This as presented by former New York Times journalist Seymour Hersh. That woman looks like Elizabeth Taylor, unquote, Baker responded. Quote, that is, is uh, Bill Thompson speaking. She's a German, and her husband is a sergeant who works for the German embassy. And she's a real pro as far as I'm concerned. I mean, everybody who has had a date with her has really enjoyed her company, unquote. So Thompson asks, quote, Bakes, Bobby Baker, do you think that if I invited her to the White House, if she would go with me to meet President Kennedy, unquote? 
Baker responded, incorporating a reference to Nazis that seems incongruous if she was an East German spy for the Soviet Union. Quote, she, she's a Nazi. She'll do anything I tell her. And the Bobby Baker quote uh, that it states that Ellen Romach, also known as Ella Romach, was a Nazi, uh, gains credence from the fact that a journalist who, the main journalist who flogged the JFK was boinking a uh, security risk and the parent uh, East German spy, Ellen Romach, who apparently had the quite a few romantic slash sexual liaisons in Washington, D.C. That reporter was a guy named Clark Mollenhoff, M-O-L-L-E-N-H-O-F-F. And again, he was the main journalist who flogged the Ellen Romich JFK uh, element or, uh, quote, relationship, unquote, in the American media. And so he was sort of like the steward of the uh, JFK Ellen Romet story. And uh, as it turns out, Clark Mullenhoff was an intimate of the OUNB milieu of, of uh, not only Lev Dobriansky, about whom we've spoken before, but also Yaroslav Stetsko. And in fact... He was uh, an attendee at some of the former World Anti-Communist League functions. Of Ellen Romich, JFK, uh, journalistic steward Clark Mullenhoff and his links to Wackel and the OUNB, we find, uh, again, uh, Hank Alberelli writing in the Kuhn Ballas. Indeed, reporter Mullenhoff's Conservative leaning was apparent in public settings when in October of 1962, he participated on a panel, quote, Washington cover-up, unquote, at Georgetown University alongside the president of the Ukraine Congress Committee of America, UCCA, and Georgetown economics professor Lev Dobriansky, evidenced in the photo in the Ukraine Weekly, and in ensuing years, Mollenhoff was not shy about his commitment to anti-communism. A brief mention in an article dated Saturday, April 20th, 1974, in the Ukraine Weekly under the headline, quote, Anti-Communist League holds seventh conference in Washington, unquote, provides a window into this public support of the World Anti-Communist League. Hosted in B.C., by the American Council for World Freedom, or ACWF, the conference, but that was an American affiliate of Wackel, the conference boasted some 25 speakers representing both free nations and countries under communist suppression, including autocrat General Anastasio Somoza of Nicaragua and Yaroslav Stetsko, former prime minister of Ukraine and head of the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, or ABN, since its inception, as well as the leader of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, or OUN. 
the U.S. affiliate of the Spetsco's ABN, the American Friends of Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, is infamous among Kennedy researchers for its leading member, Spaz Lakin, who traveled from Ohio to Hoboken, New Jersey, to meet Lee Harvey Oswald and his Russian wife, Marina, as they arrived from the USSR. That was when they uh, got back after, after Lee Harvey Oswald's defection when he was on his way to Albert Schweitzer College, courtesy of Yalmar Schock relative uh, Robert Schock, Albert Schweitzer himself, an honorary chairman of Stillehilfe, one of the post-World War II SS fraternal organizations. And uh, returning again to the account here in Kuhn Dallas, among the U.S. speakers at the 1974 Wackel Conference were prominent Republican, including Birmingham. Among the U.S. speakers at the 1974 Wackel Conference were prominent Republicans, including future Congressman John McCain, conservative journalist William F. Buckley, and the aforementioned Professor Lev Dobriansky. And that uh, is. Again, uh, an indication of the politics and the political milieu, my favorite word, of Clark Mullenhoff. And Clark Mullenhoff was the main journalist flogging the uh, JFK, was blanking Ellen Momich, and therefore he is a security risk. Canard, it may have actually, the, the liaison may have taken place. But in any event, it was a propaganda gambit, and one that appears to have come from the far right. And uh, again, Ellen Romich, Ellen Romich said by Bobby Baker to be a Nazi, and Clark Mullenhoff, the journalistic shepherd or flogger or jockey of the Romich JFK story, was indeed a um, associate of and fellow traveler of the milieu of the former World Anti-Communist League. And uh, one of the things that is worth uh, noting in this regard is that the, again, uh, the milieu of the OUNB and Wackel, uh, Wackel did not actually formally coalesce uh, until 1967, in uh, our programs about in the anti-fascist archive programs about Wackel, including AFA 15, in uh, done in March of 1986, we posited that in addition to uh, participating in the assassination of JF. Okay, and we'll talk more about some of the uh, OUNB links to the JFK assassination. It was the assassination of JFK that helped in the coalescence of the various organizations which were part of the WACCFL, that is the World Anti-Communist Congress for Freedom and Liberation. That was sort of the steering group which formally coalesced in the Wackel in 1967, in the aforementioned, for the record, 876, and in AFA number 15, we spoke about the brilliant research of Peter Dale Scott when he points out the links between the WACCFL and uh, the milieu of the OUNB and the assassination of JFK.
in those programs, there is discussion of how the assassination of Stefan Bondera, the head of the OUNB and a key operative of, of not only the Third Reich, along with Yaroslav Stetsko, the head of Ukraine during its collaboration this World War II period, but uh, also someone who was deeply involved with the Galen Spy Organization on the very day that Lee Harvey Oswald, quote, defected, unquote, to the Soviet Union, October 15th of 1959, Stefan Bandera was assassinated, allegedly by the KGB. The fellow who assassinated him was a guy named Bodan or Bogdan, Stashinsky, S-T-A-S-H-Y-N-S-K-Y. And it was the assassination of Stefan Bondera that was bandied about by wackle elements, including people connected to Lev Dobryansky. Lev Dobryansky helped to uh, disseminate this disinformation, or what Peter Dale Scott calls a level one cover-up. Um, the notion was that or the the meme was generated and circulated that in fact the Soviet Union, of course, uh, to which U.S. intelligence officer Lee Harvey Oswald quote defected unquote, he was then framed for the JFK assassination and killed before he could defend himself. But the uh claim was made that Lee Harvey Oswald may very well have been one of a group of Soviet-trained assassins who were operating in the United States. And one of the assassinations held up as exemplifying this type of KGB-slash-Soviet assassination was the assassination of Stefan Bandera by Bogdan or Boydan Stashinsky. In our discussion in uh, AFA program number 15 and uh, the excerpting of that in For the Record program number 876, we also came back, came back to that in For the Record 778 as well. We noted that uh, not only was Charles Kirsten, a U.S. congressman, uh, one of the people who was very much involved with disseminating the uh, uh Stefinsky, Oswald, Soviet assassin meme. He also represented uh, Stefan Bandera's widow at the trial of Bogdan Stefinsky. Now, when Bogdan Stefinsky, a professional assassin for the KGB, was arrested, he still had a broken shaft of a key to Stefan Bandera's apartment in his possession. And some two years later, when he went on trial, the broken key to Bandera's apartment was still in the lock of Bandera's apartment. Taken in tandem, that is basically an indication that the superficial explanation for this event cannot be taken at face value. A professional assassin working for a professional and major intelligence service like the KGB would have disposed of the key as soon as it broke off, because that would link him to the assassination of Stefan Bandera and would have uh, left him open to being eliminated himself as part of a cleanup operation. And the fact that the broken key was still in the lock of Bandera's apartment two years later 
is the uh, clincher. Basically, this was a double operation. And in Coup in Ballas, uh, Hank Alberelli presents information that, in fact, Bogdan Stefinski was a double agent in all probability. He was actually part of the OUNB anti-Soviet milieu, but that he was basically uh, turned, unquote, by the Soviets and used himself, basically forced into becoming an operative. It would then appear that his superficially unthinkable uh, actions basically uh, still hanging on to the shaft of the broken key uh, that snapped off when he opened Bondera's apartment when he was arrested and uh, when he basically turned himself in. And the fact that the head of that key was still in Bondera's lock of the lock of Bandera's apartment two years later, uh, certainly indicates that Bogdan Stashinsky, or Boydan, B-O-H-D-A-N, as he is called here, the transliteration from the Cyrillic alphabet varies, uh, it certainly indicates that he was the double agent that we speculated he had to be in the aforementioned programs AFA-15, uh, and for the record, 778 and 876. Of the Stefinsky OUNB milieu, and these are the elements that are basically in control of the national security apparatus in Ukraine at this point in time. The salute of the OUNB and its UPA combatant arm, basically glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes, is now the official salute of the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian police, and they have profound connections to the Ukrainian uh, law enforcement and national security establishments, although most of the citizens in Ukraine do not appear to be electorally favorable to these groups. I don't think that makes a hell of a lot of difference. Uh, It has been made a matter of Ukrainian law that you cannot say anything critical about the OUNB or the UPA. It is now a criminal offense that basically outlaws the telling of truth about the reality of Ukraine in World War II. Now, of uh, the aforementioned assassination of Stefan Bandera and the probable double agent status of assassin Bob Boydam or Bogdan Stefinski, uh, we read as follows in Coup in Dallas by Hank Alberelli Jr. Again, this book was published uh, posthumously. Interviewed twice by author Alberelli, Spars Wicken, again the chairman of the American Friends of the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, said that if he didn't tell the Oswalds he held a high-ranking position with the American Friends of the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations. The ABN was supported by uh, former MacArthur aide Charles K., uh, Willoughby, again a German uh, a, a fascist of Germanic extraction whom we've spoken about at great length, including in uh, AFA programs 10 and 11. The ABN was strongly supported by Willoughby since its formation in Munich, Germany in 1946. Confirming that SS Otto Skorzeny and General Charles Willoughby were at the very least aware of each other prior to Willoughby's trips to Spain that began in the early 1950s, was their mutual association with radical far-right Ukrainians. 
During World War II, members of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, or OUN, Yaroslav Stetsko and Stefan Bondera, had been held in the central Berlin prison at Spandau from September 15, 1941, to January of 1942. In June of 1941, Stetsko had announced the formation of a Ukrainian state which was intended to align itself closely with the Nazis. Said Stetsko, quote, We will closely cooperate with the National Socialist Greater Germany under the leadership of its leader Adolf Hitler, which is forming a new order in Europe and the world. This was temporarily superficially interdicted when the, the OUNB declared nominal independence from Germany, but very quickly uh, the uh, uh, elements went back, got snapped right back into place, and uh, Stetsko, as we will see, became an enthusiastic collaborator with the Third Reich. By April of 1944, Otto Skorzeny had sought out both Stetsko and Bondera, quote, to discuss plans for diversions and sabotage against the Soviet army, unquote. The two were released by the German authorities in September, and as planned with Skorzeny, began organizing the native populace to fight the advancing Soviet army. Uh, there's an error here. They were already released from custody uh, by... 1944. This is a, an editorial uh, mistake here. There are a number of those which I attribute to the fact that the book was basically published uh, posthumously, and so there are some uh, editorial mistakes in the book proper. Nonetheless, I think the research here is more than a little important. Uh, returning again to the collaboration between Stetsko and the Third Reich and Bondera, according to historian Stephen Dorrell, D-O-R-R-I-L, by 1946, the OUNB's secret police was conducting an assassination campaign in Western Germany. Ultimately, the OUN comprised the largest contingent within the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, or ABN, which enjoyed significant support of General Charles Willoughby from its founding in 1946, in Munich, as we saw, by the way, in AFA program number one, way back in April of 1984, uh, in fact, the OUNB and elements of its UPA were collaborating with the Third Reich, and there was an actual continuity of combat using guerrilla elements of the OUNB and UPA from the late World War II period right on up to the early 1950s, and the Guerrilla groups originally formed under the auspices of the Third Reich essentially jumped to the Office of Policy Coordination run by Galen, Alan Bowles, and OPC Chief Frank Wisner. Again, that is in AFA number one. That, by the way, is available on the flash drive, that, uh, as is everything else on the Spitfire website. Uh, one more time. Ultimately, the OUN comprised the largest contingent within the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, or ABN, which enjoyed significant support of General Charles Willoughby from its founding in 1946 in Munich. As may be suspected by some readers, the ABN was also strongly supported by the CIA, whose files are extensive on the group, as is correspondence between Alan Dulles and ABN leaders. 
In fact, according to CIA documents dated 1957, Reagan was a contract agent for the CIA, having been cleared for hire by the Office of Security. The initial use of Reagan was in service of a project utilizing unwitting agents, but by 1960, Reagan was fully aware of his attachment to the CIA. In the minds of fascists, meaning politicians, and power brokers in the U.S., Ukraine was the geographical bulwark against renewed Soviet aggression. Ultra-right Ukrainians, Bombera, and Stetsko were the human face of that rabid anti-communism. On October 15, 1959, which coincidentally was the day Lee Harvey Oswald boarded a train from Helsinki to Moscow on the final leg of his defection, I don't think that was a coincidence at all, by the way, a 28-year-old KGB assassin, Bogdan or Bogdan Stashinsky, is alleged to have assassinated Ukrainian nationalist Stefan Bondera in Munich. On trial in Munich in 1962, prosecutors presented the most persuasive version of the murder. Stashinsky had used a spray gun to dispense a lethal but undetectable poison that induced symptoms that mimicked heart attack. On Tuesday, September 12th, Pierre makes a note, quote, that's Pierre Lafitte, spray gun to Willoughby Shaw. That is in all probability Kleshaw, who by the way was a personal friend of the aforementioned Hitler finance minister Yalmar Horace Greeley Schott. Continuing, the sheets from a lecture that author Alberelli gained access to further indicate the significance of, quote, spray guns, unquote, in Pierre Lafitte's world in 1963. As mentioned previously, in one ledger entry, Lafitte notes, quote, Walker team, spray guns, at least five. Another reads, Rothermel, an aide, by the way, to uh, H.L. Hunt, the Texas ultra-right-wing oil billionaire and the scion of the Hunt family. Rothermel says no on gas-strike guns, but T says okay, parentheses, staff, perhaps Stashinsky. Walker says yes, spray guns. Will it be, unquote? By the way, this is a reference almost certainly to a type of assassination weapon developed by the Third Reich, which sprayed uh, cyanide gas into the face of the intended victim, uh, producing an apparent heart attack. This was used uh, among, by, among others, Bogdan or Bogdan Stashinsky. And as we looked at in our Aryan Nations series, AFA programs 10 through 13, uh, drawing on material from the book Power on the Right by William Turner, uh, there was a plan developed to use those types of spray guns, uh, and use elements of, uh, the OUNB, Ukrainian Fascist Organization, uh, and elements of uh, General Edwin Walker's uh, Dallas uh, John Birch Society cell to basically commit assassinations in Europe. Uh, the key guy helping to organize that was Nelson Bunker Hunt, uh, the son of H.L. Hunt, and uh, among the assassins, again, were to be chosen, some of those were to be chosen from Edwin Walker's John Birch Society cell in Dallas. Others were to come from the OUNB milieu. Again, that is in AFA program 13. I think we also had that in number 11 as well. Interestingly, they were to be called the American Volunteer Group. 
which was also the name of the Flying Tigers group in China during World War II, uh, connected to that very same milieu as we looked at in AFA programs 10 through 13. And now the discussion here of the probable fact that Bogdan Stashinsky was actually an affiliate of the OUNB or part of that milieu, then turned by the Soviets and ultimately apparently doubling back on the Soviets in the assassination of Stefan Bandera when he kept the broken key shaft, unthinkable for an operative of his caliber and in his capacity, and with the uh, broken head of the key still in the lock of Bandera's apartment two years later, two years later, that certainly indicates that this was a double operation. And uh, returning to coup in Dallas, according to a recent book by professor of Ukrainian history, Serhai Plokhay, P-L-O-K-H-Y, The Man with the Poison Gun, a Cold War spy story, Stashinsky's career as a figure man for the KGB, played out against the backdrop of the fight for Ukrainian independence after the Second World War. Quote, Boydan was a member of the underground resistance against the Soviet occupation, but was forced to become an informer for the secret police after his family was threatened. After he betrayed a resistance cell, he was ostracized by his family and was offered the choice of continuing his higher education, which he could no longer afford, or joining the secret police, unquote. Stefinski said later, quote, it was only a proposal, but I had no alternative to accepting it and continuing to work for the NKVD. By now, there was no way back for me, unquote. Stushinsky received advanced training in Kiev and Moscow for clandestine work in the West and became one of Moscow's most prized assets, parenthetically, almost certainly a double agent. Professor Peter Bale Scott was also the first to draw attention to the significance of the death of OUN Stefan Bandera in the context of the assassination of President Kennedy. Bandera died at the hands of Soviet agent Bogdan, or Boydan Stushinsky. Scott notes that the assassination of Bandera was exploited by Ukrainian nationalists and ABN spokesmen to demonstrate the importance of the opposition of the OUN and the ABN to any rapprochement between the American and Soviet governments, which was being advanced during the Kennedy administration, especially the president's perceived conciliatory policies following the Cuban Missile Crisis. Just two weeks before the assassination of President Kennedy, one of those American pro-Ukrainian spokesmen, former Representative Charles Kirsten, who had served as a member of the steering committee of the World Anti-Communist League, or WACO, quote, began to develop the picture of a Soviet assassin conspiracy, unquote. Kirsten had been researcher and assistant in the office of Senator Joseph R. McCarthy during the, during the hearings. Again, that's uh, the famous Joe McCarthy, whose top legal aide, Roy Cohn, was the attorney for and political mentor to Donald Trump, as we have noted in many programs. Continuing. Professor Scott also tells us that, quote, while in New Orleans in the late spring and summer of 1963, Oslo was linked to Americans who were in touch with the Latin American elements of Kirsten's steering committee of the WACL, including Maurice 
Brooks Gatlin, who was involved with a right-wing group at the address used by Oswald for his, quote, fair play for Cuba committee, unquote. Gatlin, in 1958, had appended a Congress that included the chairman of the American Friends of the Anti-Bolshevik Nation, the chairman of the American Friends of the Anti-Bolshevik Nations, Nestor Puchik, P-R-O-C-Y-K. Two years later, Dr. Puchik, a physician practicing in Buffalo, New York, was in direct communication with retired General Charles Willoughby. In his September 2, 1960 letter, Dr. Puchik tells Willoughby that he and, quote, Mr. Stetsko, Ukrainian righteous leader of ABN and OUN. Basically, he was the head of uh, the World War II collaborationist government in Ukraine that basically executed Nazi policy there. Mr. Stetsko, Ukrainian righteous leader of the ABN and OUN, fully appreciated the retired general's noble efforts, quote, Unquote. A month later, Stetsko writes to Willoughby directly under the letterhead of the Central Committee of the ABN, Bank AG, Branch, Munich. And again, we go into those links at great length in, again, AFA Program 15, and again in uh, For the Record Program 778, and in particular 8. 76. Lev was among those who was spreading the KGB killed Kennedy uh, level one cover-up, as Professor Scott has termed it, in the wake of JFK's assassination. Now, uh, we are going to begin uh, fleshing out some more of the many Nazi links to JFK's assassination. We will not have time to go into, to complete these in this program, so I will overlap this material with our next broadcast. Uh, there is a fellow who is a gun runner, and he was uh, someone who did some networking with both Jack Ruby and Lee Harvey Oswald, as we will see, and as we will also see, he also was an apparent mind control job, and uh, the uh, one of his apparent mind control uh, implementers, so to speak, uh, had a, a background with the Third Reich and was a mentor to Dr. Lewis Jolyon West, who helped to implement mind control on Jack Ruby, among others. Of Thomas Eli Davis and his links to Jack Ruby, we read, In his 1977 pursuit of Enigma Thomas Eli Davis, D-A-B-I-S, newsman Seth Camper also revealed that the Texas native was released from his Tangier jail cell in early December 1963 through the intervention and assistance from, quote, the mysterious CIA contract assassin known only by his CIA cryptonym QJ Wind, unquote. Camper provides no source for his information on QJ Wind, and Camper is now deceased. Readers of this book now know that a reading figure of the QJ Wind program was former Nazi SS officer Otto Skorzeny, and it is this fact that makes Davis's saga even more intriguing. Well before Camper wrote about Thomas Davis, Dallas Morning News reporter Earl Goltz gained knowledge of Davis's links to another major player in the assassination story, Jack Ruby, Oswald's assassin, and the several other unsavory Texas gun members. Taken together, these links advanced the mystery of Thomas Davis into, quote, 
the stratosphere of serpentine connections, unquote. On July 10, 1976, Rugels wrote a greatly overlooked Morning News, Dallas Morning News account, concerning Jack Ruby's role in running guns to anti-Castro forces in Cuba. Goltz writes that after Ruby's arrest for murdering Lee Harvey Oswald, Ruby, quote, was concerned that the name of a gun runner for anti-Castro Cubans might come up during his 1964 trial in Dallas. The name was Thomas Eli Davis. And still later, uh, his wife, Carolyn Davis, comments, Davis's wife, Davis's wife's statement to the author in 2004 continues verbatim, quote, The other Oswald, we're going to hear about Victor Oswald, another weapons dealer uh, with strong connections to the Third Reich and the Spain of Otto Scorzini. Davis's wife's statement to the author in 2004 continues verbatim, The other Oswald, the man they said that killed the president, I had no idea who he was until his name was in the newspapers. But when I saw his picture, I remembered him right away from being in Mexico at a hotel thing with Tom, a.k.a. her husband, Thomas Eli Davis. He and Tom had been together for a few days. That frightened me a lot, but Tom said to forget about it. Well, uh, that is more than a little interesting. And again, Tom Davis uh, apparently had as his entree into the world of clandestine intrigue and gun running from his uh, time with the Lafayette Clinic in Detroit. One such practice was recommended by the clinic's neurologist, Dr. Ernst Roden, R-O-D-I-N, who achieved wide notoriety with his recommendation that individuals who took part in Detroit's race riots in the 1960s be physically castrated. Dr. Roden, who treated Thomas Davis, came to the U.S. from Vienna in the early 1950s. According to Roden's autobiography, War and Mayhem, he had been a member of the Hitler Youth Movement and then served a short stint as a Nazi soldier. Dr. Jolly West was a protege of Roden, and Roden treated Thomas Eli Davis. We will, however, uh, have to take this up in our next uh, program. Again, I want to stress that talking about the Nazi links to the JFK assassination is not some exercise in sensationalism, but rather is to indicate the profound institutional involvement of third-like elements with much larger and uh, profound elements that together uh, eliminated JFK. It is a very important connection and one that we will go into again in our next program. But we are all out of time for this program. This concludes for the record program number 1224. More about Nazi connections to the JFK assassination. This is being recorded on January 28th of the year 2022. On Dave Emery, have fun. <laughs>